Chapter Twenty Eight of the Flight of the Shadow. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Tibby. The Flight of the Shadow by George MacDonald. Chapter Twenty Eight Another Vision. That same night, within an hour, to my unspeakable relief, john came home at least he came to me who he always said was his home it was rather late but we went out to the wilderness where i had a good cry on his shoulder after which i felt better and hope began to show signs of life in me i never asked him how he had got on in london but told him all that had happened since he went it was worse than painful to tell him about his mother's letter and what my uncle told me in consequence of it also my personal adventure with her so lately but i felt i must hide nothing if a man's mother is a devil it is well he should know it he sat like a sleeping hurricane while i spoke saying never a word when i had ended is that all he asked is it all john is it not enough i answered it is enough he cried with an oath that frightened me and started to his feet the hurricane was awake i threw my arms round him where are you going i said to her he answered for what to kill her he said then threw himself on the ground and lay motionless at my feet i kept silence i thought with myself he was fighting the nature his mother had given him he lay still for about two minutes then quietly rose good night dearest he said no good-bye it is not fit the son of such a mother should marry any honest woman i beg your pardon john i returned i hope i may have a word in the matter if i choose to marry you what right have you to draw back let us leave alone the thing that has to be and remember that my uncle must not be denounced as a murderer something must be done that he is beyond personal danger for the present is something but is he to be the talk of the country no harm shall come to him said john if i don't throttle the tigress i'll muzzle her i know how to deal with her she has learned at least that what her stupid son says he does i shall make her understand that on her slightest movement to disgrace your uncle i will marry you right off come what may and if she goes on i will get myself summoned for the defence that if i can say nothing for him i may say something against her besides i will tell her that when my time comes if i find anything amiss with her accounts i will give her no quarter but orby he continued as i will not threaten what i may not be able to perform you must promise not to prevent me from carrying it out i promise i said that if it be necessary for your truth i will marry you at once i only hope she may not already have taken steps her two days are not yet expired i will present myself in good time but i wonder you are not afraid to trust yourself alone with the son of such a mother to be what i know you john i answered and the son of that woman shows a good angel was not far off at your birth but why talk of angels whoever was your mother god is your father he made no reply beyond a loving pressure of my hand then he asked me whether i could lend him something to ride home upon i told him there was an old horse the bailiff rode sometimes i was very sorry he could not have zoe she had been out all day and was too tired he said zoe was much too precious for a hulking fellow like him to ride but he would be glad of the old horse i went to the stable with him and saw him mount what a determined look there was on his face he seemed quite a middle-aged man 
I have now to tell how he fared on the moor as he rode. It had turned gusty and rather cold, and was still a dark night. The moon would be up by and by, however, and giving light enough, he thought, before he came to the spot where his way parted company with that to Dumbleton. The moon, however, did not see fit to rise so soon as John expected her. He was not at that time quite up in moons, any more than in the paths across the moor. Now, as he had not an idea where his rider wanted to be carried, and as John did for a while, he confessed it, fell into a reverie or something worse, old Sturdy had to choose for himself where to go, and took a path he had often had to take some years before. Nor did John discover that he was out of the way, until he felt him going steep down and thought of Sliper bearing Hermon to the realm of Hella. But he let him keep on, wishing to know, as he said, what the old fellow was up to. Presently he came to a dead halt. John had not the least notion where they were, but I knew the spot the moment he began to describe it. By the removal of the peat on the side of a slope, the skeleton of the hill had been a little exposed, and had for a good many years been blasted for building stones. Nothing was going on in the quarry at present. Above, it was a rather dangerous place. There was a legend of man and horse having fallen into it, and both being killed. John had never seen or heard of it. When his horse stopped, he became aware of an indefinite sensation, which inclined him to await the expected moon before attempting either to advance or return. He thought afterward it might have been some feeling of the stone about him, but at the time he took the place for an abrupt natural dip on the surface of the moor, in the bottom of which might be a pool. Dirty stood as still as if he had become part of the quarry, stood as if never of himself would he move again. The light slowly grew, or rather, the darkness slowly thinned. All at once John became aware that some yards away from him there was something whitish. A moment, and it began to move like a flitting mist through the darkness. The same instant, Sturdy began to pull his feet from the ground and move after the mist, which rose and rose until it came for a second or two between John and the sky. It was a big white horse with my uncle on his back. Death and he, John concluded, were out on one of their dark wanderings. His impulse, of course, was to follow them, but as they went up the steep way, Sturdy came down on his old knees, and John got off his back to let him recover the easier. When they reached the level, where the moon, showing a blunt horn above the horizon, made it possible to see a little, the white horse and his rider had disappeared, in some shadow or behind some knoll, I fancy, and John, having not the least notion in what part of the moor he was, or in which direction he ought to go, threw the reins on the horse's neck. Sturdy brought him back almost to his stable before he knew where he was. Then he turned into the road, for he had had enough of the moor, and took the long way home. End of chapter 28